The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. If I can get another chair, please. Oh, it's kind of cool. While we're doing this, um, I just wanted to clarify, um, Harper is a girl, um, Susan and Michael's newborn baby. I know it's like Hillary, you know, I can't talk, <laughs> but just wanted to clarify, you know, in case there was any misunderstanding. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to also say is um, if you're a regular PCC attender and on my mailing list, uh, you would have seen uh, that we are on the 11th of September going to take up a special offering for our uh, legacy building vision. And the challenge that we're putting out is for you to consider and think about um, giving up one day of your salary. You know, whatever that is, one day of your salary in that offering. Now, if you want to do more than one day, you want to do two, you want to do a week, you want to do a month, totally fine. Absolutely fine. We'd love for you to do that. But if all of us just gave one day's worth of salary in that offering, it would be phenomenal. Um, and you can do that online. And on that Sunday, we will actually have the bags uh, distributed as well. Um, if you wanted to bring that and feel that you are actually doing that in a very physical, concrete kind of way. I know for some people that's really important. Uh, we'd love to, for, for you to do that. So if you can think about that and be praying about that. And uh, a couple of our board members said, if you need help trying to figure out how much that ought to be, we're happy to help you with that too. <laughs> we can have a big calculator at the back, <laughs> you know, work it out for you. Uh, but no, I'm sure you can work that out yourself. Excellent. How's everybody traveling? After last week, we're doing all right? Um, again, just thank you, Susan, for, for what you shared. Um, I was talking to someone this week who comes to our church via online church. Um, and I, I met with them. Actually, he's probably watching Michael. He donated a whole bunch of PA equipment to us, which is great. Um, and he's a, a single guy, an older single guy, a Christian believing uh, man, and he said that he was really impacted by what you shared. So um, thank you. And thank you, Michael, for donating all that you've uh, donated to us. Excellent. Um, well, this morning, I want to just do a quick recap um, and then launch into our message this morning. So we're, we're really talking about pain. And we, like we said, we're, we're, we've avoided using the word suffering because we want it to be something that we can all relate to. And we've all experienced pain in different ways. And so last week we talked about the why question. Why is there pain and suffering in our world? And we looked at original sin and the brokenness that resulted. We looked at the choices that we make and other people make that have negative consequences for us. And we talked about God and his part in, in the pain that we experience in life. And we also looked at why can we trust God in the midst of the pain and suffering that we go through. And it's because he is sovereign because he's in control. That is one answer that the Bible gives us. And we looked at that. And we, uh, the approach that we've been taking is to approach this series through people's stories, um, through p uh, the characters in the Bible, the people that experience pain and difficulty in the Bible, but also through people that we know, uh, that we have relationships with, and hearing their stories and how they've encountered pain and experienced God in the midst of that. And so we uh, have scheduled to have interviews um, every week in this, in this series. 
Um, and so another thing I've, I failed to mention last week, but I want to mention this week, is that the series is structured like an extended sermon. So if you like, it's a five-part sermon over five weeks. So if you kind of sit there at the end of a sermon going, oh, he didn't say that, and he didn't talk about that, and what about this, and what about that, I'm hoping that by the end of the series, we've kind of ticked off some of those things, even though, like I said, we can't answer every question. So kind of hang in there, and, and hopefully each week, you know, while we'll circle back to talk about some of the things we keep talking about because they're the same things, but there'll be movement along the five weeks as well. Um, and this week we have the privilege of having Luke Cutlitson come. So yeah, welcome here. And let me just grab that other radio mic, which is probably easier than having this one here. So Luke's here to talk about his experiences of pain, and in particular, physical pain. Um, Luke and I have been having this conversation over a long period of time, you know, while Luke was attending PCC, about the frustrations of being in physical pain over a long period of time, and experiencing God and, and growing in God in the midst of that. So you know, Luke, throw it to you, tell us more about you know, your experience of pain, when did that begin, and how have you kind of been journeying through that? Um, well, hello. Thanks for having me, everyone. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, I like the context that, you know, me being here isn't, you know, some story of great suffering that, you know, would put everyone into, you know, a, a feeling of my pain doesn't matter. Because I've had that before where you have a discussion like this with someone who's had profound suffering. Yeah. And you go away going, I have just need to push down everything, yeah. make sure I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I've got nothing to complain about yeah. compared to them. The problem is that that really hurts our relationship with God yeah. when we're not honest with ourselves because, you know, he can see what's going on inside yeah. us. But for some reason, for the relationship to work, we need to be honest about it. Yeah. Like there's like a wall that we put up. Um, you know, suffering and pain can make us uh, make assumptions about the nature of God. You know, it's mm. such a big topic to talk about and there aren't answers, you know. Yeah. We're, not, we're not promised no suffering or no pain, but we're promised that Jesus will be with us yeah. in it. Um, so for me, I was born with a deformed spine. Just, it's not major, just a few vertebra in my lower back don't support each other properly. Um, I grew up not really knowing any different um, until my late teens. It was kind of diagnosed and, you know, being a young guy, I was just proud and just went, well, I'm not going to let this affect my life. I'm yeah. going to, you know, do as much as everyone else. I'm going to get a, you know, I'm going to work hard. I'm yeah. going to, you know, not let it hold me back. And pain would just grow and grow. And I just kept, you know, pushing it down. And uh, I got to the point in my late 30s where I was kind of just couldn't barely, could, got to a point where I could barely move. I was just in pain all, all through from my toes to my fingers up into my neck. Um, you know, I just had to deal with the fact that, you know, I had to slow down and deal with it. Yeah. So. And working in an industry that requires a lot yeah, of Yeah, I, I also do a lot of, yeah, I have done a lot of physical work in my life, which, you know, probably wasn't the best move. Yeah. But, um, but yes, I was proud. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you experience God in that season, you know, and you continue to, exp you know, experience pain. It's not gone. No, it's not, it's not gone. I, yeah. I have ways of dealing, managing it, managing it yeah. and um, there's good days and bad days. And 
um, it can feel really exhausting when it's bad again, you know, mm. like when it's been good and then it's bad again. It can feel really down, you know. I felt, I think I felt for a long time like I was just sort of numb to everything going on inside and um, kind of felt like I was blowing it, you know, like um, like I'd failed God yeah, some way. Right. Like if I was, you know, if I was a better... This, this isn't necessarily what I thought in my head or would say with my mouth, but I think deep down these are some of the things that I kind of came up with you know um, Tozer has that great thing that he says and I'm just paraphrasing because I'll probably get it wrong it's just um, what we, it's not what we profess with our mouth that it matters the most it's what we believe in our deep mm. heart about God to be true mm. and um, uncovering that mm. is where the gold is at in a relationship with God like and the intimacy that we want with him mm. so um, yeah it was exhausting but I needed to become honest about you know what was going on um, and th- those assumptions where deep down it's like I don't necessarily think that God is good or that I can mm. trust him mm. or if you know when I begin to examine myself I'm like oh I don't yeah I don't necessarily think I don't necessarily trust you with this mm. I don't trust you in the way that I thought I should or did um, or would say that I would um, yeah so picking up from that, were there times when you really wrestled with guilt and shame and condemnation because you weren't achieving those ideals of Christian faith? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, that's not, apart from the pain, you know, like when we talk about pain and suffering, um, I think the suffering that we all have, you know, we all have different experiences of suffering, but the suffering we all have is that we were made for a world that we don't live in here. Mm. We were made for we were made for Eden, you know, the longing for life to be good again, yeah. for he- for heaven to come. And the more privileged or that we are, the more options we have to ignore that. Mm. Um, and in suffering is where we don't have yeah. those <laughs> as many options, you know, and in pain. Um, so yeah, that that long not realizing that deep longing for intimacy with God was where I would find the peace that, you know, is kind of makes every. It's hard to say, but it makes everything worthwhile. Like, mm. it makes the rest of it not matter as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Look, and over the years, we've we've talked a lot about God as your Father and yep. the Father heart of God. So tell us a little bit about how you experience God as Father in the midst of that journey. What What are some ways God came to you in different in that season, or in, you know, continues to come to you in your pain? Yeah, it's interesting because I wouldn't have used the word. I was toying with using the word fathered by God um, in the, when you were talking about mm. this. But yeah, it was the way I experienced God definitely was a fathering. It was because I couldn't find my way out. Because the real mess I was in was the hiding from God mm. in, or not trusting Him in areas, you know, things inside. The, the, the physical pain is kind of, yeah, it's not great, but. Um, that was where the real suffering, mm. I guess, is, which we all have. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't have found my own way out of that. You know, I couldn't have found my own way. It was him, just the Holy Spirit would come along and say little things like, it's time to be honest about what you're feeling. Mm. It's time to explore that pain you're feeling. Because mm. um, I just got used to having pain all the time. Like yeah. I just didn't, I don't know, I just, for some reason, I think about it now and I kind of wish I could ignore it, but... Um, yeah, just those little phrases that he, Holy Spirit would just begin to open my eyes to things. Um, yeah. 
And lastly, looking back um, over the years, how do you feel you've grown as a result of the journey you've been on in growing God, growing as a person? Well, massively, I, like, I, I couldn't have grown without the suffering that I've had or the pain I've had. Yeah. I haven't really you know, suffered. But, um, yeah, it was... It began with anchor statements, I guess, you know, that the Holy Spirit would give me. Just basically, the Holy Spirit would just give me phrases that I needed to hear. Mm. You know, they might be things like, I've just written some examples down. Mm. Um, you know, I choose today to believe that what you have for me is better than anything I'm doing in wow. my own strength. Yeah, you know, just great. little things like that. You know, that would just, it, mm. every day. It might be little things like... Um, Another big one lately is I live under the care of Jesus. Yeah. You know? My future is wonderful. Mm. You know, I matter to him. Mm. Goodness and mercy are following me, are chasing mm. me. You know? um, and there's another good one that's, you know, there's nothing I did that made him love me and there's nothing I can do that can make him stop. Mm. So it's just really good to have those phrases yeah. that come to mind, you know, in those moments um, that anchor you to, mm. to who God is. Because, you know, that's a, that's, I don't have answers for why of suffering. Mm. Um, but we know that Jesus went through it. And yeah. we know that, I know that I wouldn't have moved out of my own place of hiding in myself without something to push me along. And, um, mm. you know, I can say now those, so the anchor statements, they come from looking basically at the, you can look at the scripture and say, you know, I might be able to memorize this scripture, but, do I live in a way or do my feelings reflect this to be true? Yeah, um, and then if they don't, when you identify that, it's a good place to start yeah. you know, making that statement. And um, now I can say, you know, with a lot more assurance that I know God to be good. Yeah. I know him to be loving. You know, I know that that's just who he is. You know, it's not dependent on me. Mm. You know, I know him to be kind no matter what the circumstances say. You know, and he's given me that boldness to live intimately with him, mm. even if I feel like I don't deserve it. Yeah. And um, that helps the relationship grow when those when there's honesty, you know, mm. daily honesty about this is how I feel mm. and bring that to him. Yeah, great. And just being like, Yeah, but what I want is you. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, Luke. That was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, um, well, we're going to do uh, a few different things. So again, if for those of you who weren't here last week, this is the book, uh, if you want to find out more and dig in deep, a lot of the quotes um, that we I'll be using come out of essays from this book. So if you want to find out more, you can grab that. Um, I thought we'd do a bit of uh, crowd feedback um, this morning. So we're engaging with the what question this week and thinking about... Um, different aspects of that question and I want to give you a warning uh, straight up there's lots of points lots of scriptures and lots of quotes so if you and I will be moving pretty quickly through them so if you want to grab photos of the slides as I've seen many of you do feel free to do that that would be totally fine so as our launching pad uh, another quote that we want to engage with this is from uh, Philip Yancey's um, essay in the book and he says this we could some people do Believe that the purpose of life here is to be comfortable, to enjoy yourself, build a nice home, engorge good food, have sex, live the good life. That's all there is. But the presence of suffering complicates that philosophy. 
it's much harder to believe that the world is here for my hedonistic fulfillment when a billion of its people go to bed starving each night. I think that's pretty sobering when you think about that. So this is the what question. What on earth is really going on in the world? What on earth is going on in our lives? So let me ask you this question. I want to get some feedback from you. What does God really want for us? What does God really want for us? Tell me. To be reconciled to him, yes? Obedience, yep. To share him, yep. To trust him. Contentment, yes. Joy in our salvation, yes. To be conformed to the image of Christ, absolutely. Love one another. To know him as he wants to be known. Yeah, that's good. Ah, oh, Westminster Catechism. <laughs> yes. To glorify him and enjoy him forever. Spoken like a true Presbyterian. <laughs> the chief end of man. Any others? To step out of our comfort zone. Yes. Great. Um, I've, I've got a list as well. So th- here's the list that I came up with. To worship Him alone. Exodus. To believe in Jesus. To become like Jesus and to reflect Him. To love Him with our whole being. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To glorify Him with all our life. There's Joseph's one. Uh, to fear Him and to obey Him. To be holy. That's everywhere in Leviticus. Be holy for I am holy. It's in the New Testament as well. To grow and become spiritually mature. To trust Him alone with all our heart. Proverbs 3 is probably the most well-known verse. To humble ourselves and to surrender to Him. Micah talks about what, is the, you know, what does God want from you. It is to walk humbly with your God. To be content and satisfied Him. Somebody mentioned that. To be with Him and enjoy Him in glory forever. And Jesus said that in His prayer in John 17. Here's the million dollar question. If that is what God really wants for us, then does pain or pleasure serve him better in that process? Think about that for a moment. Think about your own life. Think about the witness of Scripture. Think about... Moses in Deuteronomy 8, when he warns the children of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land, to be careful when they live in prosperity, lest they forget God. It's an interesting question for us to think about as we think about pain. If, if God wants those things for us, I wonder if pain is the necessary part of God's working in our lives. I think of judges in Israel's history. Time and time again, it says that God raised up an enemy. Why? Because the people were drifting from him. And it was in the times of success and peace that they often abandoned God. So God raises up different threats and enemies and deliverers. And the cycle continued and continued and continued. 
Think about it. When have you grown most in God? And has it been because of pleasure or pain? Philip Yancey, in his essay, spends a lot of time talking about, uh, in the first couple of pages, about leprosy. You know, and we have this association and understanding that leprosy results in, you know, the, the digits of your hands and feet breaking off and falling away. And he, he said, there was, he quotes a doctor, and he said, it's actually not leprosy itself that causes that. Le- what leprosy does is it kills the nerve endings. And so leprosy patients stop feeling pain. And so they hurt themselves severely in their fingers, their extremities, and they don't even know that they've hurt themselves. And so over a period of time, that part of their body begins to die because they never actually get treated for it. And so in his essay, he actually talks about the gift of pain. The gift of pain. I want to suggest to you that when we think about what God really wants for us, that maybe we can begin to see pain differently. Uh, some quotes for you uh, from Philip Yancey, firstly. He says, by definition, pain is unpleasant, so unpleasant as to force us to withdraw our fingers from boiling water, lightning fast. Yet it is that very quality which saves us from destruction. Unless the warning signal demands response, we might not heed it. And then this one you've probably come across from C.S. Lewis, a very famous quote. We can ignore our pleasure, even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And this one from a guy called Burroughs. Is a Puritan preacher, Jeremiah Burroughs. I am persuaded that many Christians have, have found it so that they have gotten more good by their poverty than ever they got by all their riches. You find it in Scripture. You do not find one godly man who came out of affliction worse than when he went into it. Though for a while he was shaken, yet at last he was better for affliction. Now, the reason I've got so many quotes today is because these guys are smarter than me and they've thought long and harder about this stuff than I have and they say it a lot better than I could say it. So if I'm kind of preaching somebody else's words, I don't want to steal their stuff and make it sound like I'm the really wise guy in the room. I'm not. So I want to suggest to you, maybe we need to reframe pain. Think about it differently. I think I've got another Philip Yancey quote. Is that right? Who would complain? This is profound, and it just really rattled me when I thought about this. Who would complain if God allowed one hour of suffering in an entire lifetime of comfort? Is there anyone here who would complain? Yet we bitterly complain about a lifetime that includes suffering when that lifetime is a mere hour of eternity. Wow. See, I, I couldn't have said that. Perspective. When we understand what, 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 what God values, what God is about, what God wants for us, what God desires most for us, then we see the role that pain can play in that. How critical a role pain plays in that. So the second question related to the first one, what God really wants for us, is the second what that we're going to consider this morning. What is God doing in our pain? And there's lots. Of stuff. I've just kind of tried to narrow it down to, to four things. 
firstly, I think God is exposing our brokenness cosmically, individually. He's exposing that our world is shattered. Our world isn't the idyllic place that it was meant to be, as Luke alluded to. It's not Eden. It's not Eden. It's, it's broken. And pain reminds us of that all of the time. God is at work to expose our limitations, to realize that we are not Him. We are not God. We are not in control. We, we are not the masters of our own destiny. And pain is a really amazing gift to to burst that bubble, to, to expose that illusion for what it actually is. And God is at work to expose our idolatry. I mean, the whole COVID pandemic, if nothing else, has brought that to the surface, hasn't it? When the things that we've relied on and trusted in our health, our work, our, our community, our relationships, all of those were in a moment just taken away from us. And God's going, see what happens when you trust other gods? When you trust yourself? When you trust your job, when you trust your health, your family, your relationship, see what happens? They are not gods. There is only one true and living God. And often it takes pain for us to come to that realization. It's a gift because God will not let us go on and on in our idolatry or in our sin or in our brokenness or pretending and thinking that we are God. Because ultimately that would bring a destruction worse than any pain that we will ever go through in this lifetime. The second thing that God is doing, and this is so profound, and again, Luke alluded to this, is doing in our pain is that he's dismantling our inadequate view of God. In Job, we see that. You know, he, he says at the end in chapter 42, I thought I, I knew you, you know, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. You see, that, that speaks of this image of God crumbling in the face of suffering and pain. If you want to read other passages, Psalm 73, especially verses 21 to 28. Psalm 139, David, in that famous psalm, you know, he talks about the, the knowledge of God being too wonderful for him to wrap his head around. Because he, God's everywhere. God knows everything. And, and pain is a, is a way of God reminding us that. He's bigger than we can ever imagine. And, and I, I want to read you three quotes from a guy called Abraham Kuiper, who's a Dutch theologian, and, and the, these are profound. Um, and this is what he said, In our lifetime, hang on, let me just read them from here so I'm not looking up. In our lifetime among men, it is indeed glorious when love and nothing but love is shown to us. Isn't that wonderful? And how rich then our heart feels in the possession of a God who causes only love, only streams of happiness and peace to flow out after us. But now dawns the day of adversity, the day of trouble and disappointment, the day of sickness and grief. And of course, in the end, this must bring it about that we attain to another a better knowledge of God, which explains his dealings with us. He goes on to say, according to our idea, we are the center of things and God is there to make us happy. The father is for the sake of the child and God's confessed almightiness is solely and alone to serve our interest. This is an idea of God, which is false through and through. 
which turns the order around and taken in its real sense, makes self God and God our servant. He goes on to say, from this false knowledge of God, the cross, and he means of not the cross of Jesus, but the cross of our pain and suffering, removes all foundation. Cast down by your sorrow and grief, you become suddenly aware that this great God does not measure nor direct the course of things according to your desire. That in his plan, there are other motives that operate entirely outside of your preference. God is bigger than we make him out to be. He is not our slave. He is not our wish list. He's almighty. He's holy. He's completely other. And part of God's dealing with us in those places of pain is to break down the false image of God that we carry around with us. And that can be frightening, scary, unsettling, disturbing. And yet, it is a gift of God's grace. The third thing I think God is doing in our pain is proving and testing and growing and refining our faith. All of that stuff that I think we're familiar with and we would testify to. And we see that in Deuteronomy 8 where where Moses is telling the children of Israel, you know when God made you hungry in the wilderness? It was to test you, to see what was really in your heart, whether you'd really believe in Him. God created you to be hungry and then He fed you with manna. Because he's not mean, he's not capricious, he's not evil, but he's about something deeper than maybe what we think and we imagine God to be about. In 1 Peter 1, Peter also talks about how trials refine and, and purify our faith. You see, God is always working to deepen our trust in and, and dependence on him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, that crisis shows what kind of person we really are. You know, we can pretend, we can seem really holy and together and, and you know, mature, and then crisis hits and all of a sudden the real us comes out. It shows what we really believe, whether our convictions are genuine and sincere or whether they're just theological truths that we've embraced in our heads. Because crisis shows us if we really live out what we believe, if our faith not just is an academic knowledge of God, but a genuine lived experience of God. When we talk about God's love and His care and His faithfulness, we're living the truths of those things. Spurgeon says that, Trials prove the sincerity of our faith, the genuineness of our faith, the truthfulness of our doctrinal belief and the effectiveness of our faith. And he says this, for a faith that is never tried, how can you depend on it? But if in the darkest hour you have still said, I cast my burden upon the Lord and he will sustain me and you find he does sustain you, then is your faith that of God's elect. He talks about how you can only know how good a soldier is when they go to their first battle. You can only know how good a ship is when it faces its first storm. Faith must be tested to be true. And I think that's what God is doing sometimes in our pain. I think the last thing that God is doing in our pain is growing us in perseverance and character. 
And again, James 1, 2 to 4 talks about that. Romans 5, 3 to 5 talks about that. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul talks about that. That God is developing us in Christ-likeness, in godliness, in spiritual maturity and character and perseverance. And J.I. Packer, he said these two things. Paul perceived, however, he's talking about 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, that the thorn was given him not for punishment, but for protection. Physical weakness guarded him against spiritual sickness. The worst diseases are those of the spirit. Pride, conceit, arrogance, bitterness, self-seeking. They are far more damaging than any physical malfunctioning. He goes on to say this. God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Now, how many know chisels are painful? Felt weakness deepens our dependence on Christ for strength each day. Listen to this. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. Remember that. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. To live with your thorn uncomplainingly, sweet, patient, and free in heart to love and help others, even though every day you feel weak, is true sanctification. J.I. Packer, what a legend. Last week, we looked at one of the Bible's answers to why we can trust God when we don't know what He's doing, and that's His sovereignty. But taken alone, that's not enough because God could still be a monster. God could still be cruel and evil. He could still be a father that delights in inflicting pain on His children, as we know fathers do in, in, in the flesh who bring great suffering and pain to their children. So it is not enough to just say God's in control, God's sovereign, God's all-powerful. The people of God in the Bible, however, they never see God as evil or cruel or unjust in spite of facing severe pain and suffering. The reason that they knew that they were that they could trust in this God that we worship, the God of the Bible, is that the Bible and their experience tells them so many other things about God that we also need to bring into this conversation. It's not just that God's in control, but God is so much more than this. So the third what I want to look at is what does the Bible say about God that will help us trust Him in our suffering and pain? I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because I'm hoping these should all be really well known to you. He's love. He's love. He's the very essence of love. Not that He loves, but He is love. He's perfect in all His ways and He is just. He's merciful, gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. He is good. The Bible affirms that over and over and over and over again. He he is light and there, there is no darkness in Him, 1 John says. He is a loving Father who gives good gifts to His children. He disciplines us, yes, but as a loving Father, Hebrews 12 tells us that. He gives us the grace and the power to face our greatest challenges. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us that. He is always with us. You know this, Matthew 28 and Hebrews 13. He is for us, not against us, as the song says. And that's from Romans 8. He has given us His Son, Paul goes on to say. And if He's given us His Son, why would He withhold any good thing from us? He's our refuge and strength and our helper, 
Psalms and Hebrews tells us that. He understands our struggles and will give us mercy and grace when we need it. Hebrews 4 tells us that. He's faithful and he will keep his promises like an anchor to the soul his promises are to us. He will keep us secure in his hands because Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I laid out my life for my sheep and no one will snatch you out of my hands. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He will finish the good work that he started in us. Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5. You see, these are the truths that we need to hold on to when our world falls apart and nothing makes sense. When there is so much pain, abuse, hurt, disappointment, betrayal, sometimes even within the church. We can't look to the church. We can't even look to our leaders for these things. We can only look to our God to be this. And just want to read you a couple of passages, one from Job 121. And these are all written by God's people who were going through suffering. And Job, you know the story, but he says this. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. See, they still believe that God was who he said he was. And Joel chapter 2 is this is in the context of the locust plague that was devastating the land of Israel. And Joel in his prophecy says this, Render your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. This is them facing starvation because the, the locusts have destroyed everything. But God, you remain this. You remain gracious. You remain compassionate. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. And Psalm 77, actually for time, I'm not going to read that, but if you want, Psalm 73, 74, 77, 88, they're all the same. People going through incredible suffering, crying out, God, where are you? How long, Lord? Crying themselves to sleep every night. And yet in every one of those Psalms, they remember God's faithfulness. They say, God, you're faithful, you're true, you're just, you're righteous, you're loving, you're good. Unwavering in their conviction of who God is. This is what the Bible tells us about who our God is that will help us when we go through pain and suffering. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Burroughs says this, in all the afflictions, all the evils that befall him, a Christian can see love and can enjoy the sweetness of love in his afflictions as well as in his mercies. Listen to this line. This stayed with me for days. The truth is that the afflictions of God's people come from the same eternal love that Jesus Christ came from. The same eternal love that Jesus Christ came from. The ways of God, the ways of afflictions, as well as the ways of prosperity are mercy and love. So remember, what God wants for us might be very different to what we want for ourselves. But God is committed to doing what is best for us. And often that's where the difference of opinion comes. But God is faithful to accomplish his good work in us by whatever means necessary. 
And he will remain true to who the Bible says that he is. And these things, I encourage you, when you're going through difficulties and pain and hardship, reflect on them. Because like Luke said, God is who he is. And he remains faithful whether we experience the reality of those things or not. So as we kind of wrap up and I land this thing like we did last week, we're going to consider somebody's story. And this time we're going to go to Habakkuk. If you want to turn there and draw out some principles that will help us practically. As we did last week, we looked at Job's story. And again, just drawing out some things real quick. First principle, it's okay to whinge to God. We started with this last week where Job wrestles with God. This time it's Habakkuk is described as complaining to God, whinging to God. It's okay. It's okay. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is is perverted. He's having a good whinge with God. I want to say to you, brother, sister, it's okay for you to to go to God and say, God, this sucks. This is awful. This is terrible. I hate this. This is not great. It's okay. It's okay. And in verse 12 to 17, he has another go. Second whinge, but I'm not going to read that. You can read it for yourself. The second principle, God's ways are not our ways. And after Habakkuk has his whinge, God tells him what he's going to do. And Habakkuk's like, for real? Seriously? That's your answer? That's your strategy? That's your solution? You're going to send Babylon? This nation that's even worse than us, they're more evil, they're more terrible, they're more awful. You're going to send them to execute justice and judgment and righteousness on your people? Are you for real, God? Yes, God's ways are not our our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, you know that. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As, As the heavens are higher, so are my ways, my thoughts higher more profound than you'll ever appreciate and understand. We will never fully understand how a holy God can use evil as part of his plan and purpose. But because he's sovereign and loving, he's able to do that. God always seems to work in unexpected ways in scripture. And if you look at your life, I'd say you'd probably say, God, that's probably not how I would have done it. But now that I look at it, it is marvelous. It is glorious. I, I, I just I worship you because you're awesome. Thirdly, God's timing is not our timing. And just a hint, if God says, I'll give that to you in a day, 2 Peter says that it's like a thousand years for God. So just take it with a grain of salt. It might not be the 24-hour day you're thinking of. And again, that's Habakkuk's experience. He's like, God, you know, when, when, is, when are you going to judge Babylon? And God says, don't worry. They'll, they'll get their due. I will hold them accountable. I will judge them. I will be righteous. But it might not be in your lifetime. Remember the dominoes. It continues on. And so rest in the fact that 
God's timing is not our timing. We will need to wait patiently. You know, as somebody reminded us at Connect Group, we might need to wait till the end credit scenes of a Marvel movie to see what's coming up next. And if you leave early, you might miss that. Sometimes it's like that. We make our decision. We make our judgment. We decide. We presume to figure out who God is and what he's doing before the end credits have even rolled. Habakkuk warns us against that, that God's timing is not ours. Number four, put your faith in God's character. And we've spent a bit of time talking about this, so I won't expand on it. But that's the point that Habakkuk comes to. In chapter three, he prays and he goes, God, you're God, you're sovereign, you're great, you're awesome, you're mighty, and I'm going to put my trust in you. Wilson Benton said this, you can believe that God is loving enough and powerful enough and wise enough and gracious enough and faithful enough to you to do what he says when he promises to work everything for your good. When your world falls apart, the one thing that remains constant is who God is. Put your faith and confidence in God's character, which is why right in the middle of this journey in Habakkuk, God says to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. That's what it'll come down. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? That's what it comes down to. Number five, rejoice in God as your savior. Um, in, in Right at the end, in chapter three, he says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. I think I put the wrong reference there. It's chapter three. 17 and 18, sorry. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the soil, bleak, painful, suffering, hard, difficult, frustrating, disappointing, all of those things. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Rejoice in God. What does that mean? Rejoice in the fact that you are a child of God. That because of Jesus, you've been redeemed and saved and you have an eternal hope that transcends this life. Rejoice in the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the fact of God being your Savior who has rescued you from the ultimate pain and suffering because of Jesus. Last one, find strength in God. If I can get the band to jump up, please. Find strength in God. 319, again, it's not 219, 319. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Notice those first two words, the sovereign Lord. Sovereign, what we talked about last week, God is sovereign. God is in control. But then Lord is in all capitals, which means it's the covenant name Yahweh. Habakkuk brings those two truths together, the, the eternal omnipotent, sovereign God who's in control is also the God who is committed to us in covenantal love, who is committed to us through Jesus, who is for us in Jesus, who, because he's given us his son, will give us all good things. Sovereign Lord. He's the covenant-keeping God. And Habakkuk found strength to face the coming horror, the, the awful reality that was just around the corner because he knew that God was his sovereign Lord, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, who loved his people and was in control of everything and would bring them through. Find strength in God. And again, as we did last week, we finished by looking at the cross because all of this takes us to the cross. And if you can just put that image up. In, two Corinth, in 1 Corinthians and in Romans 5, Paul talks about the cross as being foolishness. 
to the Greeks, but it's the wisdom of God. Just think of that for a moment, that God in his eternal wisdom believed that the best way to save humanity was through suffering and pain. It's the wisdom of God, but it's also the love of God. Paul says in Romans 5 that God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's the cross that helps anchor all of this stuff that we've been talking about. Reflecting and remembering and reminding ourselves of the cross. So I invite you at this moment to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and just allow the Holy Spirit to make the presence of God seem so real to you. Thank you, Jesus. fails me all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I have made I will sing of the goodness of God why don't we stand and if you want to sing, you can sing. If you just want to worship, you can worship. I love your voice. Thank you, Jesus. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. Thank you, Jesus. All my life you have been faithful. Thank you, Lord. Yes, you have. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I have of the goodness of God all my life all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am 
you, Jesus. Your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Sing your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life. Thank you, Jesus. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God Thank you, Jesus if you'd like prayer this morning, if you're going through something and just need people to stand with you and pray for you, we'd love to do that. If today's sermon or last week has just opened up some stuff and you just want to talk and be prayed for, we'd love to do that as well. And if you're here or you're watching online and you, and you don't know Jesus, who suffered incredibly for you to forgive you of your sins and make you part of the family of God, we'd love to talk to you about that too. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're good, that you are faithful, that you are just, that you are true. We thank you that you are our loving Father who cares for us more than we can ever imagine. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go into whatever might lie ahead, that we will go secure in your love filled to overflowing with your peace that passes our all understanding. Lord, that we would walk and live in the light of Jesus shining on our path, that we would walk in your grace that is limitless and your strength that goes before us always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us online. We'll see you next Sunday. For listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.